That's the will of God. The way the Lord would have it, that we live holy all the time. Not on the Sabbath day only, but all the time. Be you holy. We can treat every day as the Sabbath. The Lord would be pleased with it. There's been a lot of rejoicing in heaven this week. Can you imagine there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repented than 99 of you that need no repentance? And if I didn't miss anybody, I got a list of 26 that came through this altars this week that uh, has sought the Lord and He's forgiven them of their sins when they repented. Every one of them. No respected person. That's right. Didn't upbraid them? No, he didn't upbraid them. He did he didn't make them go back and, and write a list of all the things that they had done. Didn't require anything except an humble heart, a broken heart, and a contrite spirit, and 100% the Lord forgave them. Some were children. Some probably were poorer than others. Some were maybe different size, some male, some female. But in the resurrection, there's a lot of difference in what goes on. They're neither married nor given in marriage. They're neither bond nor free. They're not male nor female. As the angels? That's what the Word says. It's in the Word. So, all heaven bids us welcome. And there's more there's been some rejoicing in heaven. Yeah. I would like to think this week that all over the corners of this planet Earth there have been meetings going on. Maybe among some peoples that I couldn't communicate with. Other tongues and other uh, cultures and and God dealt with them. Those two that came down found God in a corner somewhere and sought His forgiveness and I hope His sanctifying power. I, I know that we're not the only ones. We just happen to be on the only way. We're not the only ones. We're just a few. And, and there's just a few that there's just a few there be that find it. It puzzles the human mind to think that if this God is so great, why are there just a few? Why doesn't everybody understand? But the word that's gone out here this week, if anyone came in here with a contentious spirit, I don't believe they enjoyed it as much as Mariola did. Now, I've been fed. I have really enjoyed it. Um, Sister Flora preached the other morning. Oh, I'm just anxious to get the video and run that thing by me one more time. It was just so rich and so good. And maybe some of you all had something that just hit home with you, but it's all just been, well, to me, it's just all been great. And I appreciate the privilege of being here. Many things I could say and I could reminisce. Um, I'd like another opportunity. Y'all give me two or three times, but... You don't give me but about 45 minutes at a time to try to tell you that um, God rules in the kingdoms of men.
That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I can look back. Had no idea as just a child that God, when, when I was born, in 1938, they started a camp meeting down here in Georgia. That's right. <laughs> the year I was born. They went, come down here and bought this land, and they had a meeting in Norfolk, Virginia, to decide to go out, and they appointed a committee to find the land. And somehow they left Norfolk and ended up in Perry, Georgia, and that's what happened to me. Right. A few years later, I didn't even, never heard of sanctification, and I met some people, and I came down here to camp meeting, and... Uh, Somebody said today, could you describe camp meeting? I didn't know what I was coming to, but the Lord was working in my life. When I was born, a group of sanctified people built a church about three blocks from where I was born. But my parents didn't get sanctified. And uh, times changed and sanctified people moved their tabernacle and my folks left the town. They went back to North Carolina. And uh, they came back later, work brought them back, and when they came back to Norfolk, Virginia, they rented a house across the street from a, a tent that sanctified people were preaching in. <laughs> and then they bought a house down the street where sanctified people were living on. Y'all probably recognize Wendermere Avenue, the name in Norfolk. A lot of folks lived on it. I didn't plan to talk about that. But anyway, the, it, the message is that God is ruling in the kingdoms of men. I just can't get over it. And I open the word and I see so many times that and when I, every time I read it, I find something else. I say, how did I miss that last time? And it, it's just pearls of wisdom in there, how God is working in people's lives. In the New Testament, there's a scripture that says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. I suppose that is no nationality or no difference, just all men, everywhere. And I believe that's what he wants, all men everywhere to repent. But it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly while we're living here. In this present world, this mouth, these hands, these eyes, that we should live that way before Almighty God. The devil says you can't do it. And God stands there meekly and quietly with the assurance that all that will come to him can do it. In defiance of Satan himself, when Satan threw out a, several times he threw out a blanket to do away with the will of God. In Moses' time, he tried to crush out all the children that were two years old and under. And that was just an allegory of Christ when he come along. They tried again. And God quietly worked his will in the lives of men. In my life, God moved my mother and daddy around here and there. And they just kept coming back. And there were sanctified folks. And no wonder that sooner or later I heard about it. Because God was working. Wonderful. And uh, my 14th birthday, just a few weeks from it, I have a brother here that went. He met a young sanctified boy and they got buddies. And he went out to the church house one night because a little lady invited him. And he ended up and went to the altar. I'm a little more cautious than my brother. We're all different natured, you know. I might not have been that receptive. I don't know. But his heart was receptive and he's very uh, spontaneous and he ended up at an altar of prayer and he prayed through and that was the beginning 
Well, that wasn't the beginning. He, the Lord started way back before then, working all the time. Working all the time. <clears throat> there was a time in the scriptures, you all know the story of Nebuchadnezzar, a great king. He established a kingdom that reached from up in the Ural Mountains, down around the Mediterranean Sea, down into the lower part, all through Canyon and down to Egypt. It was a great kingdom. And he passed it on to his son, and I believe it was his grandson, Belteshazzar, that one night appointed a feast and, uh, of a thousand lords and their wives. If they were all married, that was quite a crowd. And all, all their concubines, that might have been a bigger crowd. But all of, it must have been a huge hall, probably three or four times larger than this. And you know the story most likely well, how that... This king, Belteshazzar, saw that form of a man's hand. But you know, before that, this is the amazing thing to me, God began to work. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom had been large. But before Belteshazzar had it, after Nebuchadnezzar died, there was a little group of Persians way up north in India. And they began to expand their reign. And they began to... Uh, conquer, you see, they threw off the rule of Nebuchadnezzar's people. After he died, the sons didn't maintain the rule quite as well. And the Lord was working. That's what he was doing. If you had been the girl that the Lord was working for and that he moved those nations to reach down to, how would you feel? That's the way I feel God did for me. He moved my parents back to Norfolk. They didn't even want to go. <laughs> and that's when I met sanctified people. That's the Lord. Well, the Lord began to work and he expanded that kingdom and the Medes began to grow on another portion of Nebuchadnezzar's reign and rule and, and they joined forces. And the night that Belteshazzar had that great feast, unknowing to him, he knew his empire was shrinking, but he just drew in a little bit and he had plenty of income that he taxed the people and he lived on that. And it may have been because of some of those consequences that he was disturbed enough that he sent over and took those vessels from the Lord's house, those holy vessels, those vessels that were forbidden that any man should bother with them, but just the priest of the Lord is careful how we handle the holy things of God. Take heed of this holy word of God, lest we add to it or lest we take from it. I suppose that's the reason that this is our rule book. We didn't write one. We got it. We're going to keep it too. Well, the Lord was working and, and that thing began to come around and his kingdom shrank. Well, that night, the Medes and the Persians had continued to close in to where they were marching on his hall, where they held the banquet, and he didn't know it. But when that Lord spoke and said, Meany, meany, tickle you, Farson, that thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. It was too late. This night shall thy soul be required of thee. It's unfortunate that anyone would die lost. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That man had a chance.
God was working back then. That's a New Testament scripture. But do you know in, in Belteshazzar's day, it appeared to him. It was his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, that went out and the Lord made him eat grass like an oxen. That was the grace of God. It was the grace of God that had appeared to him and tried to teach him. Sonny mentioned those uh, kings that Nebuchadnezzar, not those kings, those idols that Nebuchadnezzar had. He had an avenue of God that come into that city where he dwelt with his palace and they were lying on both sides of the street and they had one to the unknown God. They tried to cover it all just like they did in, in Paul's day. And um, Paul had the message for him: the unknown God, him declare I unto you. That's the reason that God is unknown is because the mystery that has been hidden from ages and from generations is Christ in you. There's where God serves. This is the temple of God. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. That is the thing that, that God dwells in. In the kingdoms and in the hearts and lives of men. That grace of God was working. <clears throat> but that kingdom of the Medes and Persians passed on down. Now, I firmly believe that one of the things God was working in was the message I'm going to bring if I have just a, I'll do it as quick as I can. I know y'all had a lot of preaching this week. And, uh, this is not real complicated, so if you're tired, you can get the message. And there's a lot of messages in this. We won't get them all tonight. We'll have to go over it again sometime. In the days of Ahasuerus, <clears throat> this is the Ahasuerus which reigned from up in India that's where the Persians started. Even down into Ethiopia, into the coast of Africa, wrapped up the Fertile Crescent, that whole part of the world. Over a hundred, now we got how many, 50 states in the United States? 127 provinces. Big country. He reigned. In the third year of his reign, he began to make a feast, and he feasted for 180 days. I believe it's six months. And at the end of the six months, I'm going to skip through this, so forgive me if we don't have time. Uh, you might appreciate it if I skip through it, though, some of it. Um, at the end of that time, he, he feasted for a week. And his queen was named Vashti, if I pronounce it right. And they also feasted for seven days. And in the seventh day, the heart of the king was Mary, and he commanded his servants, I won't read all those names, the seven chamberlains, that's, who, that's how many there were. He, he commanded them to bring in Vashti the queen with her crown royal, with her purple robe flowing to the floor and all of the ornaments that was on her robe. And um, he wanted to shoo all these princes that he was having this six months feast for. The princes wanted to show her beauty for she was fair to look on was is in italics. She was fair to look on. And um, it came on down and she refused to come. Perplexed the king. Maybe you all know the story and I'll tell you how that it went. His, he consulted with his wise men and they said you need to, she's refused the king's order, you need yeah. to put her out. Yeah. And so he set her aside. And he, the Lord had been working all the time. 20 years before that. There was a little maiden born 
of parents that didn't live. And she was taken as a young child and passed over to an uncle who raised her as his own. Had a very loving home, I'm sure. Childless parents, he took her and he raised her and he cared for her and he loved her. 20 years before that. It thrills me when I see the hand of God working in the scriptures. And as they come through this thing, while they come to a time that after the, after the decree was made and signed and after these things, when the wrath of the king was appeased, he remembered what she had done and what he had decreed against her. But then his servants came along and said, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king and a king to appoint officers in all of these 127 provinces, the whole kingdom. And look you out all of these fair virgins and, and bring them all in. And then the maiden which pleases the king, well, let her be queen. And they did that. They went out. Now the Lord had, had raised up this, this young girl that they called Esther. And um, she had been carried away. Mordecai had, had been carried away when Nebuchadnezzar had conquered. And he was there during the reign of Belteshazzar. And had come along and had ended up here at Shushan the palace, that place that this Ahasuerus was king, in that town. And so all the provinces, they brought them in. If I can bring this thing along. This, this young girl, her name, he called her Hadasha. But they called her Esther in this story. And uh, it was his, she had neither father nor mother, and she was fair and beautiful. And uh, whom, when Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, he took her for his own daughter. Well, the king's commandment was to bring her in. He was a good servant. He had served there well, Mordecai had, and he brought her in. But now he told her, don't tell anyone of your family ties. The Lord was working in that. Sometimes the secret of the Lord is, is, is yours. It doesn't belong to the world. It's not someone else's to corrupt it or to take it for any reason. But you have this precious gem and it is yours. Your testimony and your experience and thing. It's your personal situation. In this case, it was just for her. He charged her that she should not show it. And so she didn't show it because of the way she had been raised. And um, it came down that when the turn of Esther, they had all these maidens come before the king. And the turn of Esther, the, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king. And, I, and skipping over, I didn't tell you that all of these queens, they had a house set up that they would give them anything that they needed or wanted before they went into the king. Yeah, to beautify to beautify them. You could go in and take, pick any wardrobe you needed. I'm sure just anything. So Esther come along and I, I thought about it. She was like those Hebrew children. You know what they did? They refused the king's meat. That's another story, but it's a likeness. They refused the king's meat. And what happened after the time when they were to judge them? Their countenance was fairer. And they had a ruddy complexion. They were beautiful to look on. And just having, what did they have? Pulse and water? Pulse. 
and the others had all these steaks and potatoes and everything that the king brought before them, the king's meat and wine and everything they could think of, and they come out just fine. This young girl, she required nothing. That's all sanctified people need to be beautiful. Amen. You got it right. Amen. When you think you can beautify yourself with the adornments of the world, you're badly mistaken. But he will beautify the meek with salvation. Someone read today, how beautiful are the feet of those that bringeth glad tidings. Oh, how, when Sonny was talking about what it meant that the Lord brings you to his people and to his word and the gospel and know the truth. There's nothing greater. Young people especially, don't let the devil take you off and make you think you need anything to be beautiful. You don't need the outward adorning. The New Testament covers it. You need the hidden man of the heart. Hide the word. Hide the spirit in the heart. She took nothing. She required nothing. And she went in. First off, it she obtained favor of all those in the uh, Chamberlain's house. Lord blesses on every hand. And she come in before the king, and the king loved Esther above all the women. It wasn't no wonder. The Lord had been working. I've often see the hand in the Bible of God working, and there's so many things that I could tell you about. The Lord grew the trees but Noah to build ark with hundreds of years before he needed them. All kinds of things that Lord does. Well, Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people, and she was brought in. It didn't mean her people didn't know that she wasn't queen, but she hadn't told the king in his house that she was a Jew. She hadn't shewed that she was of those people. Says it again. I think it's an important point. Uh, but in those days, when this took place, Mordecai lost touch. This was his only daughter, and he loved her. So he went up by the king's gate, and he sat there in the gate. And uh, he was sitting there at the gate, and Esther had been made queen, and there was a lot of rejoicing going on. And while he was there, uh, he overheard something. There were two men, Big Fan and Tirish that kept the door of the king's chamberlains, I suppose the bedroom of the king, security guards, and they were coming in and out, and here this little old poor Jew, and, and not dressed too fancy, sitting there at the gate, they just come strolling by arm in arm talking, I imagine. And he overheard that, the, that um, they sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. Well, you know the chance of Mordecai going to the king and telling him there was a plot against him. First off, if I come walking in there in my street clothes, they'd, they'd stop me at the door. They would have stopped him. He couldn't have got in. But if he could have got in, do you think the king would have believed him? Who are you? These are my faithful, trusted servants. And this poor man, they own the, you're, you're street beggar. But the Lord was working. So Mordecai told Esther. And Esther whispered it in the ear of the king. And he believed it. He said, no. He appointed men to look into it, and he found out it was so. And they took those men. Rather than them kill the, the king, they were both hanged on a tree. And they wrote it down in the book of the Chronicles 
before the king. Made a record, and the story goes on. Story moves along, and um, about that time, the king, in conducting his business, he came along, he needed a captain of the host, and he needed a, a sergeant at arms, and he needed different people, and during that time, he appointed a man named Haman. He appointed Haman, advanced him, and he set his seat above all the princes that were with him, and all the king's servants that were in the king's gates, they had to bow and reverence Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. They had to bow and scrape. He was next thing to the king himself. Royal like that. And, but they had a servant of God sitting out there, Mordecai. And he didn't believe in reverence in anyone but the God of Israel. <laughs> Haman come along with all this entourage. And when he come out of the gates, the, the guards at the doors bowed. They humbled themselves and they did all of this. And um, came by Mordecai sitting at gate and he, he bowed not, nor did him reverence. Okay. And the king's servants that were in the king's gates, they spoke to Mordecai and said, hey, you need to bow when, the, when, Mordecai, when Haman comes through. They instructed him and daily. They, and they spoke to him daily and he hearkened not to them. So they told Haman. Haman was so busy he hadn't even noticed it. But they told Haman. And Haman come by next time and he noticed Mordecai. Didn't rise up, didn't bow down, didn't reverence him. And he, uh, it began to bother him. It began to bother him. And uh, so Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. And Haman was full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on this Mordecai. He began to plot. And uh, he... Uh, he was going to lay hands on Mordecai alone. But then they shewed him the people of Mordecai. And therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. Found out he was a Jew. Well, we'll just destroy them all. This man had no um, mercy. No, He just thought of himself. Someone told me today, you, some of the choices in life that you make, the, a bad choice is very self-centered. It's very selfish. And that's true. That's a bad choice when you choose just something for self. Well, Haman sought to destroy the Jews and he began to work his rule and his wrath. And um, Haman spoke to the king, Ahasuerus, and he had audience of the king. And he had the king write up a decree that all the Jews would be destroyed. And if I can move along... There's only ten chapters. We're down to the fourth chapter, so we're getting into the good part. The post went out. They sent out the word. And they hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And you know what King and Haman did? They went, they went and sat down to drink. Drinking buddies. Well, Haman thought he had things going his way now. He's going to take care of Mordecai the Jew, and he didn't care if there was another two million people to be destroyed. I just can't stand going by this gate every day and this Jew sitting there and won't bow down and reverence me. Well, that young maiden that the Lord had brought along about 20 years before, he took longer than that to bring Moses around, didn't he? Moses was 80 years old before the Lord put him to work. But uh, came down, this is, I believe Leon mentioned this choice that Esther made. 
in that beautiful sermon that he preached the other night. Well, they came down and Mordecai perceived all that was done. He rent his clothes. He put on sackcloth and with ashes and he went out into the midst of the city and he cried with a loud and a bitter cry. I pray that we will be willing to stand up for God's people, for one another, for our brother and sister, and put a cry up to heaven that, the, to, that God will hear, that will cause them to be brought in, each of us, that would be like an umbrella around us, like a covering wing when we see our brother that's in, in danger, maybe that's drifting towards the world, or maybe that's in his life. Maybe there's a Haman loose in the world today. Let us band together. Mordecai went into sackcloth and ashes. So Esther heard about it. And he wasn't there at the gate every day. So she sent out. And um, she was grieved. So she sent him a change of raiment. She says, change those old sackcloth and ashes. Here's some nice clothes. and Put them on and, and um, come on back and let everything be good. She didn't know, understand. I guess she was up in the queen's house and hadn't heard. But he received them not. Wasn't time to rejoice. Wasn't time to consider himself. He made a wise decision. He was concerned about his people. That's the people of God. Don't let the devil tell you that anyone. I don't believe there's a sanctified person on the face of this earth that doesn't care for his brother and his sister. Sometimes you, a child may not understand the love of a father. Sometimes the love of a mother seems hard for us to grasp. But if we can look back and see how that mother brought us along. And how that she nurtured us in the admonition of the Lord. And then we understand chastisement better, don't we? Then we understand it was for our good. And the love of God works in those ways. Well, she sent back again. So she got a messenger going back and forth and... Let me just tell you briefly, a man named Hatak went down and talked to Mordecai in the city, and Mordecai um, told him all that had happened and the sum of money. This Haman, in, in reading this, he had gone before the king, and in order to get this decree signed, he had agreed to put up 10,000 talents of silver. He said, I'll pay for it. That's how evil he was. Price was no object. He got to get rid of this Jew. Well, he told him the whole thing. So he came back and told Esther the queen. And Esther spake to Hatak and gave him a commandment unto Mordecai. And um, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king. She sent back to Mordecai this message. Whosoever shall come to this king... Into the inner court, it's not called. There's one law of his to put him to death. Except the king shall hold out the golden scepter. But I've not been called, she told him. She told Haman, I've not been called. And uh, Mordecai sent back a message to this, by this messenger. He's going back and forth now. He's still in sackcloth and ashes because he he his soul was bitter. And... Uh, Think not, Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, mm -hmm. with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. 
But if thou altogether hold thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. God doesn't have to have me to work his will in his kingdom. But God rules in the kingdoms of men. If you want to serve God, he's offered whosoever will. Let him come and partake of the waters of life freely. You can go. You can be one of God's chosen. You can be one of God's blessed. We are the blessed of the Lord, but we can do as the brother said earlier this week. We can choose this day whom we serve, and we did. Each of us have chosen whom we should serve. We don't want to make choices that would take us away from serving God in the beauty of holiness. Let's not be burdened with the things of life. Sometimes the cares of this world can rise up and choke out the Word. If we make that choice and we turn our face towards gain, or if we turn our face towards position, or some kind of, uh, um, if, we, if we need honor, if we need anything of that nature, prestige, we will drift away from serving God. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. There would come a deliverance arise to the Jews if thou don't do this to another place. But who knoweth? But whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. All these years the Lord had been bringing her along and it turns out that that's exactly what God had done. God has a work for each one of us. It may be that maiden that sent word of her prophet that was in her land. It may be that you and I have a responsibility to tell people that you can be sanctified. Maybe a message that simple. Did you know I had never heard that there'd be such a thing as sanctification? But a teenager or two. Told me that there was such a thing. And I believed. And I obeyed from the heart this form of doctrine that was delivered unto me and it delivered me. So Esther sent the message back to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews that are present in Sushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. And I also and my maidens will fast and I will... And I will go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did all that Esther had commanded him. And on the third day, after the prayers were offered, Esther went in before the king, and she stood over against the far side of the court, and he looked up and he held out the scepter to her, and he asked her, What would thou have? Even to half of my kingdom. That's how well he was received. She was received. It wasn't even close. That's how it is when you can go into heaven if you want to live a holy life. The gates of heaven stand open. They're not closed by day and there is no night there. We can go sweeping in through those pearly gates uh, with a sanctified experience uh, and a life of holiness and all heaven bids us welcome. Well, it came along that um, the king... Gave her that, and she said she would like to have a feast. Now, this, this is the good part. We're down to the 
going into the sixth chapter. And um, Haman went, Esther answered, let me get to this. It seemed good to the king. Let the king and Haman come to this banquet that I've prepared for them. And the king said, cause Haman to make haste. Get ready, whatever the queen wants. So they came the next day, the king and Esther, to the banquet and said, what is our petition? They had eaten and drank and everything's fine and everything, everybody happy. Now what's your petition? I'll give it to thee even to half of the kingdom. It shall be performed. And Esther said, my petition, God's still working. God's still working. He draws you out. If you're righteous, he'll give you a chance to serve him. If you're wicked, he'll give you a chance to show yourself. A chance to repent. Lest there be in any of you any heart of unbelief, any spirit of contention, the Lord can draw it out. So he said, she said that uh, I would would ask that we have another feast. Let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I will prepare for them tomorrow. Going to do it again. Haman left that day and he was joyful. I'm the only one that sat before the banquet with Queen Esther. Look how important I am. And he came out and the servants bowed and scraped and everything that he was so important. And he come along just really charged up and anxious to get home and tell his family that he was invited back the next day for another banquet. And there sat Mordecai. Didn't honor him. Didn't bow. Wouldn't get up. Wouldn't recognize him. And that broke his spirit. Oh, my. He went on home, and when he got home, Haman, he told his wife how, how the glory of his riches. He told her about the multitude of his children. I guess she didn't know about all of them. I don't know. But uh, he told about all the things where the king had promoted him. And he, he was the biggest in the kingdom. And that he was invited to the banquet tomorrow. I'm invited also with the king, and yet it, this availeth me nothing. So long as this Mordecai, the Jew, is sitting at the king's gate, I, I've got to do something about it. I can't wait to the king's decree. You notice the hasty decision is a foolish one. We don't need. We need to wait on the Lord, whatever we do. He couldn't wait. They done set the king's decree. They had a day appointed. That all the Jews were be, going to be slain in one day. And they had sent out the post. And they were gathering them together. And they planned to have them all named. And numbers. that sounds like Hitler's thing, doesn't it? They had them all set aside. And they were going to do it all in one day. He couldn't wait. And his wife says, well, I'll tell you what you do. David's wife had some information for him. She told him he acted like a foolish man, shouting and jumping up and down like sanctified people and clapping his hands when he, and singing and hollering before that Ark of the Covenant. She, she told him, he told her, she told him, let me get it straight. She told him that he had just done such a mess and he said, I'll do worse next time. We don't need to pay any attention to any foolish advice. This queen, his wife, Zeresh, she, uh, she said, let a gallows be made. It wasn't Naaman's idea. He took some... Haman, thank you. Let a gallows be made of 50 cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged. And then you can go into the king and the banquet. And this thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made, and he didn't know that Esther was a Jew. I added that. That's not in the book, but that's the secret that she kept. 
He didn't know she was a Jew. He didn't know she knew what was going on. He didn't know she was involved. He didn't get the message, you see. Sometimes the gospel is preached and people don't receive it. I don't understand that exactly. But it's so. It's so. I believe it says that he would blind the minds of them that believe not. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But how about blinding the minds lest the light of the glorious gospel should appear unto them, shine unto them. This thing that God works in the lives of men, if we will be the people, that's all it requires. He'll nurture, He'll bring us along, and He will give us everything that we need in serving God. And he'll give us victory over death, hell, and the grave. A hundredfold more and life everlasting. I like it. I'm glad I heard the gospel. I'm glad I heard the message and that I didn't, I wasn't getting bad advice. Those teenagers I was talking to gave me some good advice. They told me I needed to go down to Georgia to camp me. That was good advice. Haman saw Mordecai here in the gate and it bothered him so he built the gallows and uh, he was ready and you know what he planned to do he was going to go in the next morning about daybreak real early before the time for the feast and get the ear of the king and have this thing taken care of he just knew he could do it he still had some more silver he'd have put another 10,000 talents I believe on that man's head but that night the king couldn't sleep You think the Lord can work? <laughs> Earlier this week, it was about Wednesday, they told me I, I had to preach tonight, and I've been studying some beautiful scripture. I was reading over in, in Genesis, and I had been I found out Genesis covers a longer span of time in the Bible than any of the other 65 books of the Bible put together. One book. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis cover over 2,200 years. And the events that unfold there are just so rich. And I had been reading and I, I had some scriptures. In Joel there was a scripture that tied right in. And there was one over in Matthew. And when I heard I was supposed to preach, I thought, well, good. The Lord's been feeding me. That'll be fine. <laughs> this morning about 4.15, I woke up. I hadn't been back to sleep till. I had to go home, young folks meeting. I, I run out of energy about 4.15 this afternoon. But the Lord woke me up and I couldn't sleep. And that's why I'm telling you this story tonight. Because I really had something else on my mind. Uh, but I had never found time yet to tell you how that God rules in the kingdoms of men. And this is just part of it. But such a beautiful part of it. But the king's sleep went from him. And so what does a king do when he can't sleep? He rolled and tossed and... He, he finally got up and put his robes on and said, well, just bring in some of the chronicles and let's read some of the events of the kingdom. I'll catch up on my business and see what's going along. And it likes to keep your kingdom in good order. If you don't, it'll get away from you. Man takes care of his business. And he had been doing a lot of feasting. And so they read him about a time when those two men that, um, what were their names? Hatat, uh, back over there. Uh, they read about that and, and how that um, 
the king's chambers, the keepers of the door, they sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus, and that this Mordecai had told of Big Thana and Teresh, the two of the ones that had done it, and the king just asked, he said, well, what honor and dignity did we do for this man that saved my life? You know what they had done? Y'all know. Hadn't done nothing. Oh, my, they hadn't done nothing for him? Why? Uh, here it's about daybreak now, and, and uh, the king's disturbed. He says, well, he saved my life, and we overlooked that. So the king said, well, who is there in the court here? Well, Haman just come in. Then he walked in about that time. Just come in. Coincidence here. He just happened to be there. You know what he had on his mind? He was going to have Mordecai kill that day. That day before, the, before they met for noon lunch with the queen. And then he could meet. His wife already told him, you just go ahead and take care of that first thing. We'll build a gallows tonight. They stayed up all night long building the gallows, I believe. Yeah, well, they got it built. They got it built. And uh, 50 cubits, 75 feet, that's... Taller than these pines in Georgia, isn't it? And uh, you know the story so well. But the, you see how the hand of God's working? Haman just happened to come in about that time. He needed some good... Well, he was the king's advisor. So he says, Haman, what would, what would we do for a man whom the king delighteth to honor? And you know what the problem Haman had was self. He thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor any more than me. I mean, you know, I just got it all going and I'm just a pretty important fella. And so King uh, Haman answered the king, for whom the king delighteth the honor, why, go out and get the royal apparel, get the king's robes. And he, he set up a pretty good situation here, I suppose, if you like honor. What did he tell him? That the king uses to wear. Get the, ho the horse that the king, the king's personal carriage, the horse that the king rides on, and get the crown royal that's set on the king's head. Now, he got this thing coming together, hadn't he? Let his apparel and his horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array that man whom the king delighteth to honor, and they let him bring him on horseback, and I want you to go all downtown through the streets of the city and put someone out front proclaiming before the horse and before the people, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. So he said, okay, Haman, I want you to take Mordecai and you do that for him. <laughs> and his countenance fell again. <laughs> oh my we're getting to the good part we're down to the 7th chapter this is only I won't read the 10th chapter we'll cut it short so um, they got all that out and they got Mordecai on the horse and they got him all dressed up on horseback and went through the city and Mordecai uh, uh, Haman had to go before him just to shout this is the man whom the king delights to honor this is the man who the king wants to honor. And Mordecai got back to the gate, and he, uh, he sat back down there all robed out in these royal apparel, and Haman split for home. Well, he, was, he, he couldn't stand it. He got home. Haman hasted to his house, mourning and having his head covered. That's the first time I read he ever had any problems like that. He just... He, Haman told his wife and all his friends everything that had befallen him and, and his wise men, too. He's a pretty rich man. He had quite a court 
you know, around him. And uh, Mordecai, his wife said unto him, Mordecai, if Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but thou shalt surely fall before him. But while they were yet talking with him, the king's chamberlains came along and they hasted to bring Haman to the banquet that Esther the queen had prepared. So he still didn't know she was a Jew. <laughs> he still didn't know exactly why this thing was working. Was it that man in the New Testament that stood before the Sanhedrin council when Paul the apostle was brought up and he says, take heed what you do unto this man. Lest happily, lest needlessly, lest usefully you're wasting your time, happily ye be found to fight against God. Let's don't find ourselves in that position. Oh, my sakes, we don't want to ever come against that. I've heard of people that fought holiness. That's a foolish decision. God is holy. Not me. The Son of God said, there is none good but one. And that's the Father. He also said that I am in the Father, and ye are in me, and I am in you. That's what makes us good. That's what makes us holy. It's no goodness of our own. Has it been told us here this week? It's not within a man that walketh, that directeth his steps. You, can't, you and I can't make it. But the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Is it not that he that's in the flesh, that's me and you? We're here physically, but how about a currently minded man? cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. And that's what gives us the power to become the sons of God. Things was working against him because that vein of silver that runs through the Scriptures and supports God's will and the people that go with God's will, do you know it can be anybody? Anybody that's willing to take on this robe of salvation. We sang a song that says, I knew the world despised them. That's the way I felt about a lot of people that had an outward re uh, show of religion. The church I was raised in, you could have heard a pin drop. Quiet. You, uh, you had everything in order. I, could I used to take the program, and I'm not meaning to be critical, but I'm telling you what is not the way the Lord wants things to be. You can program the Spirit of the Lord right out of it. I could take the program and run down here and t see how far along, how much longer I had, you know, when I was sitting in church. Um, see what song you were singing. I could tell about how many more you had. And uh, God's Spirit, you just don't know how the Spirit of God is going. I don't. We've had prayer meetings in this church in the back corner over there and got sanctified. That's okay with God. If you make an altar between you and God, it matters not if it's in your closet, if it's on the mountaintop, if it's on the roadside, if it's in the belly of a whale. One man made an altar in the belly of a whale, didn't he? He said he was at the bottom of the mountain. And he cried out to the Lord. I don't know why he waited three days either. He might have been crying before then, but after about three days, he might have decided he was still alive. He was probably surprised. And he began to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord heard that man and he delivered him. So that's what it takes for us to serve God. Well, they came 
this day to this other banquet that Esther had prepared. You see, the reason that she didn't tell him anything, and I don't know if she knew that or not. She must have been working with the Lord and the Lord working this thing out. It looks like she'd have told what she needed on the first banquet. Most of us get anxious. But it's important that we learn to wait on the Lord. So they come back. Oh, look what happened in one night. That thing turned around. And by the next day before the noon banquet, Mordecai had done rode through the city and been proclaimed some great thing. And Haman had been so humiliated. And they came before him. And then the queen, the king didn't know she was a Jew. Then Queen Esther answered the king when he said, What is thy petition? If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, yeah, now listen. let my life be given unto me at my petition and my people at my request. Remind you of Moses. He stood before God and prayed and talked to God about his people. Yes, he did. Let my life be given me at my request and my people. For we're sold. I and my people are sold to be destroyed, to be slain, yes. and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I would have held my tongue. Although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. And the king answered unto Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who doth, pres who doth presume in his heart to do so? Can't imagine anybody would do this. And she said, It's Haman here. It wasn't the three of them there. This wicked Haman. The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. That's right. And the king arose from the banquet of wine in his wrath and went out into the palace garden to cool off, I suppose. And Haman, seeing that his life was at stake, while he fell there on the bed where Queen Esther lay to make a plea for his life, and the king just happened to walk back in. And then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the words went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And one of the chamberlains said before the king, Behold, there's a gallows. Fifty cubits high. It's already outside. It's right out, right out here in the courtyard. They built it right close by. They didn't want to carry the man across town, but he didn't know what man was going to be hung. Then the king said, Hang him there. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that they had prepared for Mordecai. And at that day, the king Ahasuerus, he gave the house of Haman unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, and Esther was told what he was under her. For Esther had told what he was under her. And the king took off his ring, and he gave it to Mordecai. And Esther sent Mordecai over all the house of Haman. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and of white with a great crown of gold because he was faithful. That, that's what I added. With a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city rejoiced and was glad. And the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And they didn't have to cast a stone. How many times in the scripture has God won the battle? The battle is not ours, but the battle is the Lord's. 
When the devil tells anyone that they can't live sanctified, tell them that it's a lie of the devil. Tell, tell the devil. Tell the ones that doubt that God is ruling in the kingdoms of men. God had something to do with your life. God, the grace of God that bringeth salvation is working in this day. Just as it worked in that day. And in the kingdom of, the, of God is open. That well that is open in the house of David, it's flowing. And we can come into it and we can drink. And we can have the water that Jesus...